hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on it so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com drink. That's rosettastone.com drink. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc.com slash drink. Welcome to the epicenter of Huh. Clorox. <laughs> we are. We should talk about that, huh? In the midst of uh, a national crisis, apparently, what a has pandemic. become a, nat- a national crisis, and we were like, "Oh, we'll be fine," and then all of a sudden, we're like, "I guess we won't be, though." Yes. Um, and I'm so sorry. I hope everyone's doing okay, um, and feeling safe and healthy, and trying their best to wash their hands. Yes. We unfortunately had to um, cancel all of our March shows. Yes, if by now you know this, but it is it is probably good to say in case you were not following us on Instagram right. or Facebook or anything like that. But uh, we planned on powering through. We and did. We were like, we're going to go to these shows. You know, a lot of people wanted to see us. And then a lot of governors started making a lot of calls. All these governors <laughs> decided they wanted to tell us what to do. So that, I mean, at the end of the day, it was probably obviously a very good thing. Yeah. Uh, people probably wouldn't have actually come to the show anyway. Yeah. Because maybe some of them were too afraid to come out in public or yep. were afraid of catching something. Plus, Christine does have an autoimmune disease that we like to neglect often. I'm, I constantly neglect it. And then my doctor was like, just so you know, you're a high risk patient. And then he said that and I went. Oh, I don't like those words. Yeah. Um, so it's for the best that we didn't. And have like the shows, for me, but... we were just going to keep, I was like, I'll just fist bump people. Like I was more, I think we're more worried about the people in the audience. Like we wouldn't be as much 
in right. contact with everybody. But apparently, um, whatever it was, we didn't even get to decide. Everyone chose for us. So I'm right. so sorry about that. We're pretty actually very bummed out. Yeah. We had a lot of people coming like from our own families to New York and Boston and um, D.C. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're being postponed. Uh, they're not canceled, canceled. Like they're being rescheduled. Right. They're but, being rescheduled yeah. probably near the fall. Yeah. But we have nothing confirmed yet. So please don't take our words as like a sure thing. Gospel. Right. Um, but we hope everyone's doing okay. Uh, toilet paper is <laughs> oh my God. scarce. Our dumbasses tried to buy toilet paper five minutes ago. Um, hand sanitizer obviously is just like something that doesn't exist anymore. It's amazing. It's like a black market product all of a sudden. It's really crazy. And today happens to be like really rainy outside and it's... Yeah, in LA, which is like ultra weird. It's very, it's a very weird time. It's kind of feels a little bit like the morning after the election like everyone yes everyone's off the streets everyone was just kind of yeah like like just a little extra on edge and a little afraid and and a little concerned about what the fuck's coming up yeah vulnerable and like not sure what to do and i mean like em earlier was like well and tomorrow apparently there's supposed to be all these thunderstorms i was like tomorrow's also friday the 13th so like yeah (laughs) we're in this weird doomsday situation at this point it's it's a very odd feeling and like we're trying to like i mean it's gotten to a point where like i don't know what the rest of the world looks like but i've i've had my mom sending me toilet paper because it literally just doesn't exist anymore like yeah in the stores that i've looked i've looked at costco i've looked at target i've looked at ralph's i've looked at trader joe's i've looked at walmart i've looked at target like everywhere i've looked like there are just like aisles that are turned over and like stop they're not restocking right and like i mean there's obviously there's more issues than toilet paper there's a lot of like (laughs) racial issues happening right now oh yeah it's honestly things like this i think bring out the worst in a lot of people or like just Mm -hmm. fear like this brings out a lot of negativity in people and and like the 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 dark parts of humanity sometimes come out um so yeah uh not great i also you know like cincinnati schools i found out were are closing for at least three weeks starting to monday and like you know there are a lot of people who depend on school lunches and that kind of thing and so and some people are like it's not a matter of like like, it's nice to think, like, oh, some people don't even have to go to work, but it's like some people are living paycheck to paycheck and need that. And they have to go, right. So it is it is very scary for a lot of people. A lot of um, specifically, like, Chinese establishments are losing a lot of business because a lot of people mm-hmm. out there are Just decided decisions. that suddenly their Chinese food is going to give them coronavirus yeah. as if that's a thing. Uh, so there's a lot of people out there who are desperately hurting. Also, uh I found out that our old campus, Boston University, mm. all schools in Boston have apparently like just stopped for like yeah. the whole semester. And there's a lot of people who are international students in yeah. Boston University. And so I don't know how where they plan on moving because they just got kicked off campus, but they can't fly out of the country. And so it's it's getting kind of pretty yeah. wild. Yeah, it's uh, definitely pulling <clears throat> in all different directions. Uh, yeah. So I just on so that I hope note, you're doing OK. Yeah, I hope you're OK. Uh, reach out. <laughs> if you need help or if you know someone who needs help yep um, everyone be kind to each other just yeah be kind uh, uh wash your hands wash your goddamn hands <laughs> um i don't yeah it's weird i so it's a weird feeling that's going on because i feel like now we have to have like a comedy show but everyone's scared for their lives I just, it, it really sorry you no, go no, first no, 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 you go i just have a lot of feelings i when don't we though <laughs> uh but no i was telling christine i was like this does like for all the shows like The Walking Dead or like any apocalyptic yeah. based show, you never really see like what the initial very gradual 
like signs like what those small small signs might be of like the beginning of the end of the world yep but now it's like of course toilet paper would be the first thing to run out and soap would be the first thing to run out and like people it are seems like panic. tiny little things mm-hmm. that you wouldn't pick up on but it's like the beginning of a real issue yeah and also it just happens to be raining and it literally never rains in la and so it just it the added whole to the ambiance mm-hmm. is off yeah it's uh it's feeling a little dark so I, I just thought it was worth mentioning, just so get it out of the way. We know what's going on. We are very sorry about having to cancel our shows. We really didn't want to do that. Um, it's not ideal. And we we know it's like messing up a lot of people's travel plans. And um, yeah, we tried. We really tried yeah. to avoid it. But unfortunately, those governors are always making decisions, bossing us around. Like, who do they think they are? Realistically, I'm sure there is some silver lining that we haven't found yet in this. And not to say that that's for everybody, but right. I'm sure we'll we'll make do with what we've got. So, yeah. Um, also, I think that like the special, special patron of the week is going to feel so honored that their episode <laughs> is the Corona episode. Right. Uh, our patron of the week is Z Bates. Z, Z Bates. Z. All right. Is for Zika. Remember okay. that? Let's think about that and how now we're all okay. So that'll happen too. Sure. That's in in enough time everyone will be okay. <laughs> Even though this is like our version of like scarlet fever. Also, it seems. like not everyone will be okay, but not <laughs> unfortunately. Everyone. Fingers crossed at least Tom Hanks is okay. Uh, yeah, poor Tom. But yeah, so I just wanted to um say sorry about that and uh hope everyone's doing okay and thank you, Z, for your Patreon support. Yes, we're thinking of everyone and we hope everyone who at least everyone who has like Maybe even just older family relatives that they're worried about or anything like that. We hope yes. everyone's doing okay. Absolutely. And I also wanted to, um, can I make like a little promo talking about shows real quick? Sure. So, uh, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. It's your goddamn show. I know. Well, okay. So my brothers and my podcast has a Beach Sandy. Oh, it's your other goddamn show. My other show. Mm-hmm. Beach Sandy, Water Too Wet. We have our first shows ever and we're like kind of terrified we're not going to sell any tickets. So, uh, if you're, it's uh, the Cincinnati show is the day after the and that's why you drink Cincinnati show. So if you want to double up and see me twice in one weekend, uh, go for it or maybe spot Bernie in the crowd. Um, and we have a show in L.A. in May, as far as I know, until further notice, uh, the show is still on. But so, um, yeah, if anyone wants to come, we're trying to sell tickets. So what if it wasn't because of the coronavirus it was just because you're so bad? <laughs> I mean, that's literally my fear. No, so no. com slash tour if anyone wants to come. If you're sad that you can't make it to our Boston show. I'm just use, using this to my advantage. I'm sorry. That's fine. It's I'm your just, platform. I'm just desperate that we're not selling too many tickets, so we're trying our best. I think it it just is a very unlucky time to start selling tickets. Yeah, it's a very unfortunate it's, timing. It's not you. It's a pandemic. But fortunately, <laughs> it's also Houdini. It's not probably. you. It's not me. It's not Houdini. It's just this damn it's pandemic. Just a global pandemic. It's all these governors. Um, <laughs> I so anyway, I just wanted to uh, give that a little shout out because uh, that's in May, and I'm looking forward to hopefully in May. Remember how Trump said that. All the warm weather will stop the virus. Okay. So let's do that. Let's just pretend that's real. And then you're, and then you'll go see Bishu Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That'll be the way we celebrate. I think so. Um, so that's that. Great. Other than that, how have you been? Good? Oh, good. Thank you very much. How have you, how have you been? Good. We uh, had a little treat for Eva this weekend. Yep. Uh, I don't know how much... You, you let me know how much I'm allowed to say. Oh, no. This is... No, no. This okay. is a joint effort. So... Uh, 
Eva is obsessed with, uh, I didn't know this until we had a show in Alabama, mm. but Eva's obsessed with uh, NASA and rockets space. and space and the galaxy. Her dad worked for NASA for a while, so like legit. Mm-hmm. And has like a cool coin from NASA. And so Eva's birthday was this weekend. And uh, we had said, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do for our birthday. And we legitimately thought about actually sending her to space camp we, in Alabama. We truly Googled it to find out. And it just ended up not logistically working. And so we <laughs> I were, wonder why. <laughs> and so we were like, I wish we could just maybe make, I think my exact words were like, knowing how extra we are, we could probably just make our own space camp here. And then Christine was like, well, okay, let's do that. And was just like reading my face. And I was like. Yes. So we made Eva Space Camp, and so we got to play a whole bunch of oh, games. Oh, God. It was so cool. I walked in, and Em had put up all this. So Em and I both brought space stuff, but like somehow <laughs> found like different space stuff, so it was quite a combo. It was quite an accumulation of galaxy-themed things. Uh, yeah, Em had planned all these activities and like arts and crafts. I mean, it was so much fun. Um, and we felt- Christine was a bar, a bar master for the day and made like galaxy <laughs> swirl constellation drinks. Em called it Christine's Drunk Kitchen. Um, I did. I will say, too, uh, we filmed it, and we are. I'm working on editing it now, and I guess now that we're off for a month, uh, <laughs> I can find the time to edit it. Um, and that's going to be kind of like our lemonscape th- uh, video is going to be on patreon for our patrons um yes trying to make some more like long form content for you guys uh, and it was super fun and really cool and eva's just a-, a gem yes if you haven't said happy birthday to her yet online go do it please. oh yeah go do it she's a goddamn gem she is a goddamn delight she is i love that by the way she graduated lady. from space camp in case you were wondering oh she's, she did she's our favorite little no longer cadet i think she's actually valedictorian she was one out of one summa cum laude it was amazing (laughs) one out of one so uh i failed by now you've probably heard about burrow a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs durable materials and details that make life in your space easier last year they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line which i love and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection for example dunes offers seating dining and lounger options while scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric and i think i'm going to get two of those for the balcony blaze and i love to sit out there in the evenings after leona goes to bed and i love the idea of having a good looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside made of durable materials made for all seasons weather resistant teak stainless alloy and quick dry stain resistant and cushions with easy assembly and disassembly. This is the perfect thing for your outdoor space. They also just launched a new standing desk, co-pilot with adjustable height, a durable scratch-resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever. I'm in the market for a new desk, um, so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark. And of course, there's Burroughs Legacy seating collections like the Nomad and Range, now available in new colors. And M and I, that's like the only piece of furniture I think we actually share is our Burroughs sofa in the podcast department. Love that thing. And that's why we drink listeners can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. My story this time around is a has been requested by many. I'm not going to shout out names because it would take too long. So many people have asked for this. <laughs> okay. Um, 
I thought it was a fun little change of things because it's kind of haunted, kind of conspiracy theory, kind of just one big fun fact. Ooh! I know. So, uh, this, I don't know if you've heard of this, but this is the story of the Poltergeist curse movie. The movie Poltergeist. Oh, I feel like I've seen people suggest it, but I don't really know much about it. So, I knew, all I knew about it was that, um, there, so... If you, have you seen the poltergeist? I have not. Okay, or the poltergeist. So if you've seen, if you've seen <laughs> we're like the, old people. Like, have you listened on the Spotify? I went down to the Wally World, <laughs> and there's no more toilet paper. I'm sorry, no more TP. So, um, so if you have not seen the movie, it's about this family, the Freelings. They move into this house, and then I don't mean to spoil it for you, but you've had like 30 years to watch it. Um, <laughs> there's like the statute of limitations <laughs> has, has expired. So basically they, uh, they move into a house and then they find out later that it was buried over, it was built over a cemetery and like Ooh. all these bodies are buried underneath it. And so the youngest girl, I don't know if you are, if you know the reference, but the creepy little girl voice that goes, they're here. That's like a, like oh, a, like a no. famous scary movie catchphrase that came from Poltergeist because oh. the little girl, Basically, all the spirits are trying to talk to them through the TV set. Yuck. And then near the end of the movie, the girl, the daughter, the youngest daughter just goes missing. And so the family has to reach out to this medium to help them find the girl and get the girl back from the ghosts. So it's a good, it's a really good movie. Um, It's one of the classics produced by Steven Spielberg. Oh, there you go. Fun fact. Also, it was, um, so it came out in 1982 and MGM released it it was the eighth highest grossing film of the year and had three oscar nominations wow wow and i feel like that's rare for like a, a horror movie right or a scary movie right yeah i think so to get like high high brow <laughs> high caliber high awards so the curse which is where i i i lost my tangent but i i was going into the saying like you'll, my, you'll wh- find it I'm, I'm back on my groove so the uh the curse that i understood was that the little girl the one that says they're here I knew, like, after only a couple months of filming the movies, she died. Like, in real life? Like, unexpectedly died. Oh, shit. And so that's what I thought the Poltergeist curse was, where it was, like, after making a movie and, like, inviting all that kind of, (gasps) like, bad energy, all of a sudden she died. And so they, they, like... Sounds like a curse to me. It could have, like, obviously just been, like, a freak accident that people associate with the movie. But I always thought that was the curse of, like, oh, this little girl who was so important and crucial in the movies then just died randomly yikes so like of course they're gonna make it like a little curse sure what i ended up finding out though is that the poltergeist curse is that pretty much like i'm not gonna say all but a massive chunk of the cast and crew after or like throughout and after filming these movies all died in weird ways what and so they think that it's like if you worked on the movie it like you cursed yourself. Oh God! And either you, some people, to be fair, just died of like a natural cause. But I am going to mention those deaths just so you can see like how many. Sure. Like the body count. Oh is terrible. my God. Um. So anyway, and also Poltergeist, it's a trilogy. Just so. Oh, we're clear. okay. Also, like, does that mean we're screwed? Because like all we do is talk about this stuff. Honestly, at this point, <laughs> if I don't die in a freak accident, it will be kind of odd. Oh my God. I hope it doesn't happen for a long time. But As you say, in the midst of a corona pandemic. Right. Right. Uh, if I'm the only. Uh, well, ugh, please don't let me die from the coronavirus. I won't let you die. If I do, though, that funeral better be fucking popping. I'm just saying. Oh, don't worry. Okay. Don't you even worry about it. We all it. know my ghost is going to be there. I'm going to be counting every single person who actually shows and see who I was important to. You're going to have a checklist at hand. I know. A thousand percent. <laughs> so um, here are some of the weird events. We're just going to th- jump right into it. So during the production of uh, the first one in 1981, there's so there's a 
famous scene in it where like a mechanical clown doll like attacks the little boy in the Ew. family. Okay. So uh, the mechanical clown, while filming, uh, it attacks the son named Robbie, mm-hmm. and the crew actually thought that the the guy who played Robbie Oliver. He was like a nine-year-old boy, and yeah. they thought he was giving a great performance, but they actually found out after the fact that the mechanical clown had fallen on him, and he was literally choking to death. What? So they had to pull... He ended up so... They were like, yeah, good work. They were like, wow, that guy knows how to act like he's dying. Oh, that's horrifying. So there is an urban legend that goes around every now and then that says that Robbie was actually the first cast member or crew member to die on the Poltergeist set. But that's an urban legend. They pulled the mechanical clown off. He survived. He was fine. What but, a way to go. I mean, truly, that, that but, would have been bad. How do you tell people later he was choked by a mechanical clown? While everybody watched. And <laughs> applauded. Yeah, applauded. Uh, but yeah, so people say he died. He did not. He's still alive. Or oh. he, he was still alive after that. Oh, so, okay. Got it, got it, got it. Then, um, so Joe Beth Williams was the actress who played the uh, the matriarch of the family. Okay. Um, she was also kind of the main, one of the main characters. The whole family was... Uh, the main characters but she had played a big role in the show in the movie she did say that while they were filming this movie she would go home every night and all of the pictures in her house would be crooked goodbye and she would fix them and then she would leave and then come back the next day and they'd be crooked all over again and then she would set the house on fire and run run far away yeah and she said that that happened during the the second poltergeist movie too (gasps) so it was like she almost had like this weird feeling of like should i even be doing this movie so, um, oh god, and isn't that very poltergeisty, right? Like to literally poltergeisty to be like messing with your shit and put it in like weird angles and stuff. Ugh, yep, yucko. So, also, some of the crew got mysteriously ill during filming, and during uh, this is actually kind of a not only a fun fact but also a theory as to why this curse even exists is because during the climax of the original film, basically, the matriarch of the family she ends up in this pool and all of these skeletons are coming out like because the it's basically like the the ground is flooding and so she ends up in this like oh. hole and all of the skeletons buried under the house are like coming to life and okay. coming after her. So obviously you would think as an actress like oh these skeletons are fake. But don't even the prop master don't even for especially during this time period it was very common for the skeletons to be real. You're kidding with me. I'm not. So okay. Apparently, the prop master for uh, the poltergeist, the pol- I don't know, it doesn't matter. Poltergeist, the I poltergeist. I don't even notice, so you can just keep doing it. Uh, the prop master's name was Bruce Kaysen, and he said that the skeletons came from Carolina Medical. And at this time, just like a fun fact altogether, is that back in the 70s and 80s, real skeletons were used so much more often than prop skeletons. And that's just not in movies. That's in like uh, mini golf dis- displays <laughs> and like, like university coasters. And then you're like mini golf. <laughs> no, like anywhere where like a skeleton, like a pirate display would be, the skeletons were real. Yeah, that happened. What was that story where the they were on a ride or something, and there was always a skeleton, and then they found out later it was like a murder. I think victim. it was Pirates of the Car- Pirates of the Caribbean ride or no, something. No, it was like an act, like it was like from a fair in like the 19 somethings. Uh, oh, it, it turned out to be a murder victim. I don't remember what. I think it was, I listened to it on lore or something, but yeah, then they, they thought it was like, oh, cool, a prop. And then it turns out someone had literally hid a body there and like, oh, shit. nobody fucking noticed. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, apparently uh, skeletons at that time were a lot cheaper to use and they were also, so not only were they more cost effective, but they were also just more available because a lot of 
props that are made with like plastic or silicone started in the late 80s. Oh, sure. So up until then, it was really hard to get access to fake skeletons. So they just would just get (laughs) them from medical places. So and also keep in mind, like. Jo Beth Williams, who played this actress, she thought they were fake skeletons. Oh, they didn't tell her? They didn't tell her. And so she was per- she was doing... There was like four to five days. I watched her in an interview saying there was like a good week where they had... It was such a big scene. And it was such a messy scene that resets took forever. So she did this scene over and over for a week. And she was just covered in skeletons. And now she, like, looks back and she was like, they were real but All dead bodies. All of those dead bodies. And, like, she had to obviously look scared. And she was like, had I known they were real skeletons, I would have absolutely I been really scared. I actually was going to say, wouldn't have been more effective to be like, oh, by the way, these are real bodies. Like, in the middle of the scene. I know. Just to get, like, real fear <laughs> on her face. So the use of, I mean, this goes without saying. But the use of genuine human remains has often been cited as the cause of the poltergeist curse. Why? <laughs> Some speculate that uh, a spirit could be attached to some of these skeletons, and it doesn't like that they're using, like, their human remains are not being respected. They're being thrown around in mud and, like, being propped up against actresses. And you could argue, like, oh, well, they donated their body. Yeah, to science, probably. Right. Not, like, to Hollywood. (laughs) But so, yeah, so a lot of people think, like, oh, the curse happened because they were literally disturbing human remains. makes sense. Which is ironic because the whole point of this movie is that they moved into a house on top of a cemetery. frightening. And they're disturbing, like, the resting place of these bodies. So, anyway, after the film's release... The writer who was actually going to do like a novelization of the movie, his name was James Kahn, and his house in the middle of him working was struck by a lightning bolt. What? And the weird part beyond that, which is like probably like a one in a million thing of happening, he is quoted talking about it later saying, the lights went out in my house, the facing on the air conditioning unit blew off, flew across the room and hit me in the back. And after about a minute, the lights flickered and went back on by themselves. And all of the video games in my house started playing by themselves. No. So he apparently also collected like arcade games and (gasps) all of them started like going on and off and with all that like tinny music. Yeah. So that happened right after the film releasing. Then just after the premiere, Richard Lawson, who played the character Ryan, he nearly dies of a cocaine overdose, but he survives. Okay. Um, Five months after the movie's premiere. This is, like, the worst one when it comes to the original movie. Five months after the premiere, actress Dominique Dunn, who played the oldest daughter of the family, she was attacked by her ex. So in 1981, she was in a relationship with a guy named John Sweeney, um, who was a chef at a restaurant in L.A. Apparently, he was super abusive and jealous, Mm -hmm. and they fought constantly. John was known for regularly beating her up. And one night, he even tried to, like, jump on her car to stop her from driving away. And so that was the night that she moved out. But that Halloween, I don't know if this was his way of trying to win her back or something, but he carved a chocolate mask. He, like, carved a chocolate mask to look like her. Oh! And then he delivered it to her door. What a way to win someone back, right? But then after a brief argument, he strangled her into a coma. (gasps) And he even told the police he thought he killed her. um, Yeah! But she was just unconscious. In a coma? Holy shit! Five days later, she never woke up from the coma and died oh, at 22 that's years so old. Fucking tragic. 22. And he was found guilty of second degree manslaughter and only served three and a half years. Great. And when he got out, he changed his name and no one knows where he is. Great. So she was the first official death. What a piece of shit. Um. So 
the second movie comes out in 1985 and the main cast all reprise their roles, obviously, except for Dominique, where they explained her absence as she like went off to college in this movie. Sure. Um, but so the parents or the people that play the parents, Craig Nelson and Joe Beth Williams both reported that the second they got on the set, it like was really uncomfortable. It was almost like any energy that was (gasps) played with or messed around with from the first movie had come back (gasps) because like, I mean, the same crew and the same cast are all together again. So they like that energy probably felt it. Sure. Showed up on set. They all said it felt really uncomfortable. They also now knew at this point that they had been fucking around with human bodies. Right. And and the worst part is, like, reportedly, allegedly, the same prop master came back and brought more fucking real skeletons to the set to film the second movie. So they were like... Absolutely not. So then the cast and crew were like, so we're going to mess with, like... We're adding more, more souls to this. Yeah, we're going to mess with more body remains. <gasps> this is so, a fucking... Wow. Okay. So Will Sampson, who played a um, Native American shaman in the sh- in the movie, he also is like apparently in real life also a shaman. Mm-hmm. Um, he was fucking uncomfortable with it. He was like, I didn't know. Had I known the first time around that those were real skeletons, I wouldn't mm. have even fucking like done this job. It's amazing they didn't tell anybody. Yeah, especially when you're like a fucking shaman is on set and you're gonna yeah. not tell and them. Especially that someone's like drowning in them and you're like, no, I they're know. fake. Don't worry. And so illegal. Uh, I don't know if they ever like specifically lied, but definitely danced around the truth sure. until after the fact. Sure. But so Will Sampson, he was like, I'm not coming back on a set to mess with more bodies. Like now that I know that's what the plan is, <laughs> I'm not down with it. And so he actually apparently came in onto the set after filming one day and like requested that he was in on the set by himself. And he performed what people call an exorcism, but apparent another article called it a Muscogee blessing. I don't know which one it is, but even the cast and crew in an interview were calling it an exorcism. So I don't know if because they knew him, that actually was what happened. Like Muskegee? Muskegee, is that how it's pronounced? I think so, but I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to make a claim, but I think maybe. A M-U-S-K-O-G-E-E. OG. Because I know like Muskegee Airmen, but I don't know how that's spelled. Okay. I don't want to be offensive. I'm just wildly ignorant and I should have looked. Um, <laughs> but a blessing from, I'm imagining like sure. whatever, what tribe he's from. Very brave to be like, I want to be on set by myself. He was like, nobody else is going to fuck with this. I know what I'm doing and get oh, out. Muskogee maybe. Sorry. Muskogee. It's with an O. I don't know. I feel like I keep <laughs> thinking I know it and then I say it out loud and go, I'm, I have no idea. So sorry. Muskogee sounds wrong to me. I don't know. You let us know. And I'm just sorry, by the way. I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. Don't let us know because it's just going to be Eva going, I didn't, I didn't do this. I'll look it up, I promise. But anyway, he went in and performed some sort of blessing or some sort of ritual. And he didn't ever really explain to anyone else what he did. He just said he was going to cleanse the set. Mm -hmm. And people actually did come in the next day for work and they did say that there was like a lightness. And everyone felt really relieved and it felt different on set. That's good. And for the rest of filming, there was no incident. Oh, that's great. Okay. So thank you, Will Sampson. It worked. But this is also where I'm just going to throw in some additional deaths that did happen. I don't know if it's like, I personally think it's kind of a stretch to consider them part of a curse, but... Um, there did happen to be deaths pretty close to filming this where Julian Beck, who played Preacher Kane, he died from stomach cancer <laughs> just before the movie's premiere. Oh. So at the very least, it's this franchise is building a reputation of like not everybody makes it out alive yeah. after like 
if you're on this set, someone's not going to be alive by the end. Um, Right, like even statistically speaking. Yeah. So after the film's release, Will Sampson, he died too from complications from a lung transplant. No. So then he's also dead. So that's two movies, three deaths, and also like some freaky like like mechanical clown and bolts of lightning shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. (laughs) Right, those kind of normal, normal freak accidents right so then uh poltergeist 3 comes out in 1987 and the only two people to reprise their roles are uh <laughs> zelda rubenstein and heather o'rourke and heather o'rourke played carol and she's the little girl that goes we're here Got or it. they're here um so she comes back for the third movie she had just ding 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 christine she had just been diagnosed with crohn's oh. and was given regular cortisone shots before filming and after principal photography wrapped, she was showing flu-like symptoms, oh, no. and she collapses and is rushed <gasps> to the hospital oh, no. and goes into cardiac arrest. Oh, my. How old is she? She's 12. <gasps> oh, God. The doctors find out that she was misdiagnosed and did not have Crohn's. Oh, God. She had a congenital bowel obstruction, mm. and so when they went in for emergency surgery, she died of septic shock. That's just so awful. And not that this is any, this is like definitely not the worst part of it at all, but the movie happened to be a total flop because they decided that since she had just died right before the movie was going to premiere, they uh, prohibited the stars from doing any promotion for the movie because they didn't want it to look like they were exploiting her death. Yeah. So since they didn't do any promotion, the movie never really, like, got paid attention to. And so the movie ended up flopping. Oh, my God. On top of it. So. Horrible, uh, horrible. Yeah. So now that's a fourth death. And, I mean, she was 12 years old and literally just, like, dropped dead. Baby. And and her parents did sue, saying that, like, had she been properly diagnosed, she might be still alive. And so there was all that (sighs) mess as well. Heavy, heavy, heavy. So in 1992, this is after the trilogy has been made. In 1992, Richard Lawson, who was the guy who... Uh, survived the cocaine overdose mm. in the, during their first movie. Still some weird things happen because they think, okay, well, we're not making any more movies, but, like, you know, there are still people who are alive sure. that worked on this, and, like, let's hope that, like... <laughs> like, they all knew about the poltergeist curse, and they were like, well, let's see. Like, even though we're not making movies, maybe because we weren't associated yeah. with it at all, we might still not be in luck. All right. And so in 1992, Richard Lawson, he got on a flight to Cleveland... Um, flight 405, and the plane crashed into a bay. Oh, God. 27 people died. 24 people survived. He happened to be one of them, but he was stuck in... He got uh, stuck in his lap belt. Oh, my God. Underwater. Oh, my God. Okay. And somehow survived. Oh, he did... This is Some, like, but the the reason he survived is because he ended up getting upgraded last minute, and the row that he was going to sit in, everyone died. Jesus. So he just survived because he got moved last minute, but he was still some, like... In some freak accident, survived. Yes. He should have not survived. That's terrifying. <clears throat> in 2004, the director of Poltergeist 2, Brian Gibson, he dies of bone cancer. And in 2010, Zelda Rubenstein, who was uh, also in the third movie, died of natural causes. So, Isn't she the one who's the voice of that creepy show? Oh, maybe. I'm pretty sure that's her. At least a similar name. Sounds right. Yeah. So those are two, again, like, I, they could be considered stretches, but it's just, I'm just, just adding, to add to the... putting all the deaths in one show for you. Sure. So in 2009, this is the weirdest one to me. In 2009, uh, Lou Perryman, he played a small role in the original movie as the construction worker named, his name was Pugsley. Mm-hmm. 
now he's 67 years old. He lives in Austin, Texas, hanging out at his house, and he gets a knock on the door. And a man named Seth Tatum opened the door, and witnesses saw them uh, have a conversation on the front porch, and then Lou lets Seth into the house, and then later Seth is seen leaving the house alone. At some point, I guess people hadn't seen Lou in a while, and so they called the police. Uh-oh. And police show up to Lou's house and found him hacked apart with an axe. What? And talk about a freak accident, because Seth was recently released from prison and was apparently not taking his medication. He was reportedly wandering aimlessly for three miles, and then at random chose <gasps> Lou's house, yeah. not knowing who he was, oh, no. and then knocked on his door, went in, killed him, and Holy left. Shit. Um, yeah, that's like the definition of just like just like randomness. out of nowhere. Yeah, and so I mean, imagine being like knowing about this poltergeist curse and being like at any second something fucking wild can happen, like lightning or a murderer or a plane crash. I mean, anything. <laughs> Super, it's like Final Destination, truly. And again, a a lot of people theorize that because all these people were somehow involved in messing with body bodily remains, all of those spirits are like almost after them and trying to like get them back for disturbing their their afterlife <sighs> so there was a reboot in 2013 of poltergeist um from 20th century fox and mgm they announced that they were going to do a reboot and in 2015 the director gil keenan he actually did a reddit ama mm. about like you know ask me anything from us filming this reboot and someone asked like has anything strange or unnecessary happened while you're filming and so this was uh this was gil keenan's response it's kind of long but Ooh, okay okay so he says the location for the house during shooting i chose it because it had a strange and unnecessary field that the houses of this particular community were built around and we found throughout production that we had persistent and repeatable equipment failure only on that strange plot of land mm. for instance lights would turn on anywhere else in the neighborhood but would blow out the second you try to light them on this plot also, I used a lot of aerial drone photography in the film, and the drone pilots were never able to lock in the GPS signal on this field. We would have to move 10 feet to launch the craft, and I was too afraid to find out what that land used to be. We filmed outside Toronto, somewhere between Buffalo, New York, and Toronto, Ontario, in a town called Hamilton. Also, the house that I rented during filming was straight up legit haunted by a female spirit dressed in black. Okay. And I became aware of her within the first few days of staying in the house. And only after I left did I receive a call from the previous owner who had moved back in, who was terrified by the goings on in the house and wanted to see what I had done and if I had experienced any of it. He's so like, like, oh, I only did did a little thing called poltergeist. I only, I only filmed something that's notorious for having a curse of people being surrounded in bad energy afterwards. It's like quite an Airbnb review to leave behind. Yeah. So it was an incredible real-life inspiration for filming that followed me home. It didn't follow me back to L.A., but it definitely followed me back from set to wherever I was sleeping during filming. And then... Uh, last thing I have to say about this is they are rebooting it again. And in, why stop it? It got announced last year that the Russo brothers who are notoriously in my heart known for the Marvel cinematic universe, uh-huh. they are apparently going to be involved somehow in this franchise. And I swear to God, if the I Russo brothers, careful. if they die and the Marvel cinematic universe is not completed, first, I'm going to lose it. First Tom Hanks. Now this, not the Russo brothers. What are we going to do? So anyway, that being said, that is the poltergeist curse. Wowza. Poltergeist curse. I mean, even the fact that, like, a child died, that's just the odds of that. Like, especially all the actors. I think the the uh, Heather O'Rourke, like, the little girl who died, I think the only reason everyone knows that one is because it's a little girl and so innocent and just happened out of nowhere. And she happened to be the main character of a haunted movie. Right. 
where they were fucking around with skeletons that are right, real. Right, right. So, like, everything else kind of falls to the wayside. But, like, I didn't know about, like, the oldest daughter being strangled to death. I didn't God. know about Lou Perriman and the, the axe. Like, I mean, that... Those alone in a plane crash, I mean, it's just a lot. Yep. Especially all the actors. It's not even just, like, random people associated right. somewhat. It's, like, the main people involved. Wow, okay, that's quite a story. Yes, I think so. I so, anyway, that, that is the... That is that. And a lot of people have asked about it, so I hope that I did it justice. I'm sure you did. That was creepy. Do you pride yourself on finding the best deals and savings? Yes, it's me. I'm raising my hand. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop. Get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every single category, including fashion, beauty, home essentials, travel, dining, and so much more. Shop brands like Macy's, Adidas, YSL Beauty, Samsung Petco, just to name a few. Plus, membership is free and it's easy to sign up. Cashback rates change daily. Here's how it works. Stores pay Rakuten a commission for sending them shoppers, and then Rakuten shares a commission with its members via check or PayPal quarterly. And you better believe how exciting it is when your PayPal alerts you that you've gotten money. It's no wonder Rakuten has 17 million members who are already saving. Start all your shopping at Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. Or get the Rakuten app to start saving today. Your cashback really adds up. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Juni, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What have you got for me, Christine? A, uh, a tall tail? Just a, really, a short tail? Really fucked up tail. How's that? A puppy dog tail? I wish I had that to offer you. Okay. After this, you can have some puppy dog tails. Ooh, puppy dog. This okay. is the story. Oops, sorry, everyone. This is the story of Jesse Pomeroy, the boy fiend of Boston. Ooh, Boston. Okay. Boston. Uh, boy fiend. Props to Boston. I'm sorry that we won't be seeing you as soon as we had hoped. Damn, I was so excited to be back in Boston. Me too. We were so like excited. our hometown show at the Wilbur. I called my friend and I was like, listen, I'm so sorry. Because we had so many plans. There was a, we, we had gotten a tiny house. We had gotten <sighs> like, uh, we were going to go to Salem. We had a lot of plans. Yeah, I feel bad because my soon-to-be sister-in-law and my mother-in-law like both called off work like months ago to make sure they were there that day and i'm like oh sorry i feel bad but um god i hope we can uh we will we will reschedule and we'll be back but um for now please just for now enjoy this take this horrible story uh okay so jesse pomeroy so this is kind of an old-timey story it's from (gasps) the mid-19th century i love it uh very new englandy 
So Jesse Pomeroy, who was born um, in November of 1859. Oh, a Scorpio. I already hate it. <laughs> in uh, Charleston, Massachusetts. Is okay. that Scorpio? No, that's Usually November. Isn't it? Well, if it's early November. Oh, sorry. I didn't say the date. November 29th. My oh, bad. that's Sagittarius. My bad, my bad. Damn. Okay, I really wanted to hate him. I shouldn't have even corrected you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, to, okay, to two parents, Thomas J. Pomeroy, a Civil War veteran who worked at the dockyards, and a woman named Ruth Ann Pomeroy, whose uh, maiden name was Snowman. Shut the I fuck up. I think it's up. probably pronounced Snowman, but it's spelled like Snowman. Oh, my God. Wait, so what was her, what was, say, her full maiden name? Ruth Ann Snowman. <laughs> I didn't even see that. Ruth Ann Snowman. Snowman. Aww, Ruth Ann the Snowman. Ruth Ann the Snowman with Aww. a holly jolly soul. So sweet. Okay, so she was a dressmaker. Um, like Santa Claus's dressmaker? <laughs> she was like Mrs. Mrs. Claus. <laughs> um, okay, so Jesse had like a typical upbringing. Um, he had one older brother named Charlie, and he had a typical upbringing, except there was... Uh, According to most sources, abuse of physical abuse um, from his dad of both him and his older brother. Um, so when he was little, he was very sickly. He was, quote unquote, strange looking to the people at the time who were not very obviously, you know, necessarily open minded to things like that. He had a cleft palate. Uh, he had cataracts. Uh, which caused one of his eyes to be kind of white. Mm. Uh, and so he had these constant headaches and had like seizures pretty regularly throughout his childhood. So he was kind of regarded as like a, a freak or like different sure. from the people around him. Back in the day. Back in the day. Right. Was this, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, was this around the time where like freak shows were a thing? Is that part of the storyline? It's not, but. Okay. I didn't know. I don't know if he's even f that freaky enough to be in a freak show. As I guess terrible not. as it sounds. I didn't know, I didn't know if that was the storyline we're heading down. I was no, like bracing myself. No, that's a really good guess, but no. Um, unfortunately, it's not. It's just probably a lot worse. I see. Okay. <laughs> not that freak shows were not bad, but <laughs> gotcha. things just go downhill really quickly here. Um, but he was, like, ridiculed for his um, cleft palate and his eye uh, by the boys in his neighborhood. And the the person who was most revolted by the way he looked was his father. Oh. Yeah. So uh, one day he, Jesse, like, uh, skipped school. And his father uh, blew up in anger, stripped him naked uh, behind the outhouse and whipped him. Um, and that was like the, that became kind of just the regular occurrence. Um, he was regularly beaten and his older brother was occasionally as well, but Jesse got like the brunt of it. And people now think it was just because his father was so like disgusted by him. Shit. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so around this time, uh, like when he's probably like seven or eight, he's caught torturing a neighbor's kitten. <gasps> oh boy. This is where things just go really South really quickly. I do want to also say, like, I mean, all my stories are disturbing, you know, equally on different in different directions. But this one is rather trigger maybe, warning. Maybe if you, you know, maybe if you, mm, is it animal stuff? It's not animal stuff. Is it sexual assault stuff? Mm, not even really. It's just disturbing. I mean, okay. I don't even know what to say because it's like, I don't want to say, oh, this one's more disturbing than right, a right, normal right. case of someone getting murdered. I'm not saying that at all. It's pretty graphic. Okay. Let's put it that way. Okay. Because I don't want to give, obviously, varying levels to, like, whether sure. one You don't thing... want to compare one trauma yeah, to another. Yeah, exactly. Especially because it's just like... But this one just happens to be a little more detailed than it's, it's graphic. It's pretty detailed. Um, I see. And that's kind of how the story is 
has to be told for for clarity's sake. So I just want to. Right. Yes. Maybe don't be eating lunch or we maybe... know you're not an asshole. You just kind of have to <laughs> tell the story. Got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yikes. So things. Um, this is one more pet thing. Uh, Ruth's pet canaries were then found dead with their mm. heads ripped off. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. So this is just... I see now where we're heading. <laughs> yeah. Got it. This is just the start. And there's no more... I mean, to be clear, there's no more animal stuff, but there's people stuff, which... Equally, if not worse. Right. Correct. In the graphic department. Yes. So her mother never, like, uh, outright blamed him. I'm oh, sorry. His mother never outright blamed him, but... People think that she at least suspected it was him because she never allowed a pet in her home or near her home ever again. I see. Although she said, of course, that wasn't him. But, you know, actions speak louder than words. Sure. So uh, one day, Thomas, um, Jesse's dad, beats him so badly that Ruth, uh, his mother, chases him out of the house with a knife and he never returned. And at this point, according to contemporary sources, they divorced and he was out of the picture. So Jesse kind of eventually graduates quote unquote from torturing animals to other boys uh he starts what he would do is he would take uh convince a friend or a neighborhood boy that he was going to go take him to see the soldiers or go to barnum circus or uh he would kind of give the money to run an errand with him or a chore or whatever it may be and would then uh, lure them out to various locations, often outhouses along the marshlands mm. or the railroad tracks, just very isolated spots. Okay. So here we go on a timeline of that. Great. December 22nd of 1871, uh, William Billy Payne, a little boy, follows Jesse up to an area known as Powderhorn Hill where Jesse forces him to strip off his clothes, then ties his hands to a beam, and then beats him up until he uh, falls unconscious, and then leaves him there to freeze, basically. And he does survive. He was found nearly frozen to death. Um, He did recover. I mean, you know, to the extent that you could after something like that. He did recover, um, but he was unable to identify who his attacker was, except to say he was older. And that was all he could really, like, tell adults okay so two months later uh february 22nd tracy uh hayden who's seven years old is discovered in the same area tracy's uh assailant beat him uh knocked out his front teeth blackened both of his eyes and threatened to cut off his penis but did not um and so when they discover tracy kind of also stuck like uh, chained up and frozen out there right. and beaten up. Tracy says, yes, he was older, but he also had brown hair. So now they're adding okay. piece by piece to this description of who this who's wreaking all this havoc. Um, a couple months later, May 20th of 1872, eight-year-old Robert Mayer walks up with an older boy up to Powder Hill, and he's seen walking with this older kid, uh, Jesse, who strips him uh, of his clothes again, and this time forces him to repeat curse words as he's, like, beating him. Okay. Uh, which apparently sexually excites him. So he's kind I of see. developing his MO, basically, and is, like, increasing the violence in specific ways that excite him. Um, so Jesse eventually releases Robert, but threatens that he'll kill him if he tells anyone and leaves him out there. So around this time, people are like, holy hell, this what is do happening we do? over yeah. and over to yeah. our children. This is terrifying um but sort of like at that point i'd start having someone like on alert at that rock yeah right on that hill yeah yeah exactly so they were like what do we do but the problem was like these descriptions of of jesse became like 
tainted or like telephone almost like turns out people started looking for uh, a teenager with red hair a wispy beard and pointed eyebrows which an elf literally mrs claus uh assistant elf (laughs) mrs snowman's assistant the one who wants to be a dentist yeah yeah so (laughs) so uh basically like people were looking in the complete wrong direction for the assailant and so Let's just say he's not going to get caught. Right. It's just making things worse because he's like uh-huh. going to get away with it. Right. They're looking completely in the wrong direction. Um, so then two months later, July 22nd, 1872, um, an older boy, Jesse, is seen leading another child, seven-year-old Johnny, up to an outhouse on Powderhorn Hill. He is stripped, bound, whipped, and beaten as Jesse masturbates. He tells Johnny that he will kill him if he leaves the outhouse and tells anyone what happened. Uh, now at this point, it's just every two months this is happening over and over and getting almost worse and more violent. Uh, so there's actually a $500 reward put out for the capture of the quote, inhuman diabolical scamp who's torturing little boys. Oh, okay. And it's right at this time that Ruth, his mother, rents out a dress shop and apartment in South Boston and moves her boys out of, uh, Chelsea where they were living. So it's theorized that she kind of suspected maybe her son was involved or behind the assaults. And, uh, I can't imagine being a parent and thinking, no, like assuming that your kid's probably involved or having that like nagging feeling where you don't want to believe it. But right. Yeah. Which is pretty much what they think happened. And, um, there were a lot of vigilantes that emerged in the area looking for this $500 reward. And so she was like, they think she, they theorized that she was taking her boys away from the area to like keep them from away from harm of the vigilantes basically. Cause she knew it might be her son. Yikes. However, she, didn't say outright that she thought it right was it's, it's presumed it's presumed so august 17th again two months later uh 1872 george pratt a sickly seven-year-old little boy follows jesse away from the south boston shore this time and into the marshlands uh this one is rough uh george is stripped bound and beaten with a belt jesse bites a chunk of flesh from his cheek then he goes further, stabs him with a needle, and before he leaves, he also takes a bite out of his butt and oh my God. leaves him there. Uh, and he's alive still? I believe he was left alive, yes. I'm not positive, but uh, later on, people, the victims are not necessarily left alive, and I think gotcha. those are very specific how the bodies are found, so I'm not sure. Okay. It was not clear um, in a lot of these older sources but i believe he survived oh my god also i mean as his mom though it was probably a smart strategy of like oh if all of a sudden the stuff starts happening over here Mm -hmm. where we moved then i know for real if it's my kid yeah yeah that's true or it's just like oh no my worst fears have been confirmed really hoping it would stay in chelsea Yeah. yeah um and i think just the fact that the kid was a like that it was clear that he'd been stabbed with a needle and all this stuff i think that was his I think he had survived and was telling like the order right, what right, happened right. and all that. I'm not nine. I'm not, I'm like 95% sure on that. Um, so September 5th, uh, 1872. So only a month later this time, Jesse kidnaps a boy named Harry Austin and takes him up to the railroad tracks where he is stripped bound again, beaten with a leather belt. However, this time, uh, Jesse takes out a pen knife and stabs him four times. <gasps> it's getting so much worse. It's just getting more and more brutal. Um, Jesse attempts to cut off, uh, harry's genitals but he hears people nearby and is scared off 
And so once again, he just abandons this child. Only days later, it's like a week later. So now it's just getting like closer and closer together. It's like every day someone else is going to get just, it like yeah. 10% worse than the last one. Right, right. So a week later, September 11th, 1872, this time Jesse lures seven-year-old Joseph Kennedy to the marshlands along the bay. Once again, he strips, binds, beats him, but he also forces him to his knees and tries to make him recite a profane version of the Lord's Prayer, which, again, he's finding these ways to kind of, like, excite himself with curse words and, like, profanity and uh, blasphemy and forcing people to do things. Right, just being in power. Exactly, yeah. So he tries to make him, but apparently the... The kid, Joseph, sorry, Joseph refuses to to blaspheme the Lord. He, like, refuses to, oh, no. to commit blasphemy. Poor guy, a seven-year-old. Uh, and so Jesse gets pretty mad, slashes him across the face with his penknife, then drags him to the saltwater creek to force him to, like, wash the wounds in salt water. Uh, he did survive as well, so that's how we know that that's what happened jesus oh Um, my god but just like twisted torturous stuff uh developing so a few days later again less than a week now september 17th 1872 five-year-old robert gould follows jesse up to the railroad tracks where he is tied to a fence post and beaten jesse slashes robert's head with a knife then presses a blade the blade to his throat but railroad workers. Finally, something funny happens rail, on this story. Railroad workers. Oh God! Railroad workers. Okay. Uh, are approaching, like walking up the track, and so interrupt the attack, and he runs away. And so finally, Robert Gould is the first victim to add like an actual helpful piece of uh, identifying evidence to this case, and that's that his assailant had a milky eye. Okay, and he com- that's helpful. It is, yeah. And he compared it, actually, apparently there was a, a marble. You know, people played fun games like marbles back then. Uh, right. <laughs> and, um, you know, pre-TikTok era. As I'm getting older, by the way, I will take this moment to mention, like, I'm kind of getting into, like, the, the billiards kind of thing. Like, oh, and, like, yeah. the, the old people. The, like, classics? Like, I'm kind of, like, I'm trying to learn jacks and tiddlywinks <gasps> right now. I just learned jacks in uh, Missouri because we were there and... Uh, I'm like kind Blaze of into it. I kind of get it now. It's and I, fun. Now I'm like, what age am I? Because I'm totally like, it is a twist. I'm like, where are the t- where's the tiddlywink gang? The tiddlywinks. Like, I'm about to crush them. Oh my god! Yeah, but I'm sure marbles is also very fun. I feel like marbles is fun. I don't really know. I feel like I maybe played it when I was little, uh, but probably got bored. But yeah, Jax is fun where you'd like have to pick them up and it's, it's hard i mean i'm a pickup sticks i'm very good at pick Love up sticks. pickup sticks that's been a while too so anyway marbles i'm ready to learn all about <laughs> yeah. that well apparently there was a really popular marble called milky and it was like the way it looked so he described this boy's eye as looking like that marble and so that's how they kind of got the newest description of what the assailant looked like so what they did next is they took Joseph Kennedy um, to all, so that was an earlier victim, to all the schools in South Boston to see if he could identify his attacker. But Roberts, one of the other victims, mother, would not allow him, allow him to go because it was only three days after he had been attacked um, and he wasn't well enough. And she was like, I don't want him involved in this. He needs to get better. So unfortunately, it was just Joseph being taken around and he didn't recognize or perhaps didn't notice uh, anybody who matched the description of what his uh, attacker looked like. So Jesse Pomeroy once again escaped detection. But luckily, I don't know if that's the right word, later that day, uh, for 
kind of an unknown reason, Jesse walks straight into the police station where Joseph was being questioned and like, you know, about oh, his attack. Okay. Walks straight in the police station and uh, Joseph is like, that's him. That's the guy who attacked me. <gasps> and so Jesse runs out of the police station, but officers catch him like a block away. Okay. And he's arrested. Oh, wow. So he's... Why on earth was he there? So... I mentioned it later, but they think it's because he was getting off on, like, this, like, cat and mouse. Like, he wasn't caught. Like, well, they always say, like, you can't, like... Scene of the crime type You thing. always have to come to the scene of the crime. Yeah. Like, you want to be involved in, in it to an extent. And, and I also think... you want to know, like, what how well you're doing getting away with That's it. That's true, yeah. Well, so he... Apparently, they think he walked in there because he had... They, he had they'd gone through all these classrooms and he had not been recognized. And he was like, oh, they don't even know what I look like. And they think he just walked in to see if he could get away with it obviously he did not so um he was arrested and he was questioned but he denied everything uh he's shows no remorse what a shock and is put in a cell until midnight as the police try to get a, a hold of his mother ruth his poor mother uh at midnight investigators take him out of his cell and they threaten a 100 year jail sentence if he doesn't confess to his crimes whoa so he's like yeah i did it <laughs> okay and here are all the lurid details i'm gonna tell you everything great so the following morning they bring all of jesse's victims in and they all individually identify him as their attacker um as they presumed and he is taken before the magistrate and ruth so his mother like almost to a pathological sense, defends him this entire time. Oh, she's in such denial. Total denial. And basically, despite all the actions of, like, I think she knows to some level that this is She doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. yeah. She can't bring herself to admit it. And uh, she said that all the other boys are liars and that Jesse is a good boy. He's honest. He's obedient. He's hardworking. He would never do something like this. So the whole time she's defending him. However, Jesse is sentenced to the House of Reformation in Westboro until the age of 18, and he is led away. His mother is distraught, still claiming he hadn't done anything, but he was basically being sent to this reform school until okay. he's 18. So, weirdly enough, um, or maybe not that weird, he, like, thrives at this reform school because it's, oh. like, a very barbaric environment, and, oh. like, he could uh, kind of take over and take advantage of other kids. I which see. I thought you meant for a second he was actually, like reformed absolutely like, not okay i see <laughs> he was thriving in his own way got it thrive you know what you're right thrive might not be the best word he was a uh, doing the best at what he does best yeah he was crumbling further into devolving devolving some might say Ugh. yeah so um he so most of the boys were there for nonviolent offenses like truancy shoplifting and apparently stubbornness could get you sent there so uh oh, wow my the, ass would be there you and i would be screwed and we also <laughs> wouldn't survive no not at all especially so, if this guy was no! in our fucking cell absolutely not so um jesse because he's so sadistic basically becomes like the top of the social pyramid and has all of his ways of violence and um sadism and that kind of thing and he's able to kind of get all these other non-violent boys under his own control so while so this whole time Jesse is like quote unquote thriving, developing his whole shtick, his whole evil, evil shtick. Yikes. Uh and it's just getting worse and worse. And meanwhile his mother is outside of jail and she oh jail reform school. And she is petitioning anyone and everyone she can find to help pardon her son because she's like, it is not him. Like, this is a huge mistake. So she's like doing all this This poor woman. I know, it's awful. It's awful. Doing all this like 
activism, quote unquote, to try and get him pardoned. Um, but pretty quickly, Jesse learns that if he wants to get out, he needs to show good behavior. And that's the only way he could be released early. Great. So, so now he's fake threatening. Yep, exactly. I so see. as someone who is so good at manipulating and controlling and like clearly has no remorse whatsoever, he's extremely good at like being what people want him to be or, or seeming like he's what sure. people want him to be. So he becomes like a dorm monitor, which is like a an RA basically, and or like a prefect in Harry Potter, basically. A prefect. <laughs> God damn, I always wanted to be a prefect. I was always scared of them. I was like, I would get in big trouble. I feel like my whole life, I always thought it was called a perfect because I couldn't, I could not in my brain, yeah, it's a tough move one. them around. So I would always read them as perfect. So yeah. I was like, okay, I get it. I always thought it was perfect for a long time. Um, I know it's not, but I still in my head at 27, I have to like manually remind myself that it's not a <laughs> like perfect. override your brain. Yeah. <laughs> but also it makes sense because you have to be like pretty perfect for people to trust you to be a yeah, perfect. Yeah, it must be a plan words. I think too, like there's so many words in Harry Potter that she used that like, I feel like since we read them growing up, there were so many words that, like, we read a certain way. Like, I remember, oh, like, reading Hermione, Hermione at nine that's years old. That's the big one. Again, in my head, I still think of her as, like, Hermione. Yeah. And, like, then I saw the movie, and they were like, Hermione Granger. And I was like, what the fuck? Who the hell is this I was chick? like, where's Hermione? Her- oh <laughs> Where God. is Hermione? Where is, where's my little ween? Yeah. Renee, <laughs> where's my weenie Granger? Renee used to call her uh, Hermione. Hermione. Yeah, I mean, how was a nine-year-old to know that? I, yeah, I don't think any of us really knew it at the time. Nope. Um, thank God for Hollywood telling us how to pronounce things. Thank God, years later. Thank God for movies and TV to teach us <laughs> to teach us all of our intellectual <laughs> information. Okay, uh, right. So he's basically a perfect. Uh, he's an RA, and he regularly reports his fellow <laughs> students to the teachers. So he's basically a tattletale. Um, S- such a Hermoween, am I right? Such a Hermoween, such a ween. <laughs> That's actually Weenie Hut Juniors. Oh, Weenie. Yeah. So Jesse's exhibiting this like model behavior according to authorities, and meanwhile Ruth on the outside is like saying he's so innocent and he did nothing wrong, and so that combined actually worked. And oh no. Yeah, he was released eighteen months into his seven-year sentence. <gasps> so. I mean, job well done, but fuck you. Also, think about it. If he was there till he was 18 and it was a seven-year sentence, that means he was 11 when this all happened. He was sent away at 11, and now he's getting out at, like, 12 or 13. Wow. Isn't that horrifying? Did not even process that. I knew he was, like, young, but I didn't know that's really little. Um, So, yeah, he's released 18 months in, so he's probably about 12 or 13 at this point. He now starts working at his brother. So his older brother, Charlie, has a newspaper shop and his mom still has a dress shop. So he starts working at both. Um, and apparently even the local South Boston police were like amazed at his reformation, his thriving that he's his doing. thriving. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. his thriving. And um, obviously the neighbors in the town were like, oh, hell no. Like, what the <laughs> like, fuck? We know what's going on. Yeah. Like, we're not letting our kids walk around if you're letting this guy free. But Police were I like, don't want a newspaper from you. Thank you. No, right. I don't want to buy my dress from Miss, Mrs. Claus. Uh, <laughs> so basically, he's returned to his previous environment pretty quickly. Um, the townspeople are pissed, but the police are like, no, he's changed, you know. Um, so guess what? Let me guess. <laughs> he's not a perfect anymore. He's not a he's not prefect anymore. He's no longer a pr- perfect prefect. He. uh Yeah. 
I mean, it's exactly what everyone expects. Things get worse. How quickly does he start ruining other people's lives again? Oh, pretty much immediately. So six weeks after his release. There it is. And it's really bad, y'all. March 18th of 1874, uh, six weeks after his release, a little girl named Katie Curran vanished. And uh, her mother, Mrs. Curran, immediately began searching for her daughter and is horrified to learn first that Jessie has been freed from jail because she hadn't realized this yet. Oh, shit. And second, that her daughter had gone to, it's called Tobin's General Store, and she wanted to buy some notebooks, but the store was out of notebooks, so Mr. Tobin suggested she head to Mrs. Pomeroy's dress shop to buy some notebooks. Well, there it is. Where Jessie worked. Also, if you're 12 years old, like, I'm imagining this girl was missing for a while, so, like, how do you, how are you a 12-year-old and... Like, you have to come home, too, and have dinner. Mm. Where are you hiding another person? I'll tell you. Unfortunately, we find out in lurid detail, quote-unquote, what happened. So, yeah, it's twisted. Um, So, Captain Dyer of the South Boston Precinct, who is, you know, the precinct that's convinced he's changed, quote-unquote, assures Mrs. Curran that Jesse is reformed, but he said, you know what, we'll send an officer to check in order to calm the distraught mother... And make sure that her daughter's not in harm's way. So Ruth is at the dress shop. The police come and they're like, we want to check check and see if, you know, this little girl's here. And Ruth is pissed because she's like, no, this is not my son. Why do you keep harassing us? Yada, yada. But she's like, fine, take a look around. And they look around briefly. She kicks them out and they see nothing. So they're like, it's listen, it's not he's she's not here. But there is another 14 year old named Rudolph Kaur who works at the shop, and he tells police, hey, I saw that little girl with Jesse earlier. But Captain Dyer says, this little boy, Rudolph, is a known liar. And oh, my God. Because uh, Jesse is reformed, there's no way that he's telling the truth. Oh, my God. About seeing them together. So a witness apparently at this point tells police they saw Katie being lured into a wagon, and so the case goes from missing child to a kidnapping case, and it leads the investigation away from the shop. However, unfortunately, little did they know that Jesse had lured Katie to the cellar underneath where they were standing. <gasps> that makes so much sense. Yep. And so okay. they didn't spot anything. They were told, hey, we saw her getting in a wagon over in town. So the police leave and leave Jesse to his ways in the cellar underneath. Uh, they wouldn't find her for several more months. Oh, no, months? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, she was dead for several months, though, right? She wasn't tortured for no, several months. Oh, yes. She was dead for several months. Okay. Not, I mean, you know. Yay. All, all bad. Yeah. Our catchphrase, it's all bad. Uh, it's all bad. Um, April 1870. But, yeah, she wasn't, like, kept there for, sure. you know. Between April- the two. I'd rather her not be tortured. <laughs> right, right, you know? right, right, right. If it's going to go one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, April of 1874, Jesse tries to lure five-year-old Harry Fields to a secluded area, but a teenager spots them together, knows about Jesse's reputation, stops them, thank God, and Harry's able to escape. So only a few days later, April 22nd, Jesse escorts four-year-old Horace Millen, a child who was described as beautiful and angelic, to a bakery. They purchase some cake and they share it, and he convinces him to walk toward the bay with him. So where, where... Are these children's parents? Like, was this at a time where four-year-olds just walk around the city to get by themselves? Or, like, what? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's after school. I'm not sure. I mean, think about it. If he's 12 or 13 and he's working at right. a shop, you know? like What maybe, was the year again? Or the 1874. Okay, yeah. yeah. This was probably before, like, Neighborhood Watch. I still think about, like, whatever the era was where I, like, I think about, like, 
old timey like newsies New York where like eight year olds are like smoking cigarettes yeah. like sitting on the back Selling of a newspapers, car trying to get nickels or like bumming rides off the trolley or something right. I mean even so I guess four year olds it makes sense why like one of them would be wandering around and you wouldn't think like oh people are dangerous there's no stranger danger yet at this point really so weird and like I mean it wasn't until the 80s that people started getting that like stranger danger fear so it was a long time it was like over 100 years till people would even i i wonder what the stats were at that time compared to now of like i mean like four-year-olds it's not like they were developmentally smarter or like more capable of being on their own back then but like why weren't there just four-year-olds like getting hit by cars all the time and shit like (laughs) why don't we hear many cars oh that's good (laughs) that's true because i'm like i i can't even imagine letting a four-year-old just run around and hope it knows how to get home yeah i mean i guess if you think like I don't know. I don't know anything about it to even make a call, but from from my pure ignorance, I can't understand yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, if you think it's, like, out in a, the, a suburb of Boston and, you know, kids are employed and I'm sure parents are... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If anyone happens to be from 1874, let me know, please. Let me know. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to understand how four-year-olds were just fucking hanging around. Even, like, ten-year-olds, like, with jobs and, like... yeah. Anyway, I guess they depended sorry. on it, but also think about like the lifespan was so much shorter back then too. So I don't know. I think people just matured, quote unquote, much faster. Like they were expected to do things. I mean, Maybe. people were getting married in like their teenage years. You know, people are just it's just a different. It's just bananas. It was I'll a just, different time. I wish I knew more about that 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 time. To... You know, it is interesting because it's such a different social. But I mean, even nowadays, like you know, kids get kidnapped and yeah, people terrorize towns and. I just always, I never understood how, like, Hey Arnold could walk around New York. Oh, and yeah, he was a nine-year-old. That one was always fascinating. And you just trusted he, like, wouldn't get hurt. I feel like I got, I was, I was wandering around town by then. By age, like, 11 or so, I started being able to walk up to, like, the grocery store and, like. Nope. Yeah. I don't know. Not I've, a million years for my Jewish mother. Yeah. Not a million fucking years. I'm, yeah. I'm still not allowed to walk by myself when I go home. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to be on the highway until I was, like, 20. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like there was my mom is convinced I'm going to die from the coronavirus. By the way, she called me today and she was like, if you need to come home for a month, absolutely. You can come home. And I was like, why? How would that be more helpful? Get on a plane. Yeah, exactly. Why don't you? And go no, to she, D.C. She's absolutely convinced that at any second I will just drop and then dead. And was like, yeah, you can help and send me some toilet paper. And she's like, OK, here's four rolls. Yeah, she <laughs> my mom. So my mom likes to do this thing where she's wildly like stereotypically a helicopter parent when it's not asked of her and then when all of a sudden i legitimately ask for help which you would think that's the moment that my overprotective mom would go into hyperdrive she that's when she like doesn't give a shit it's no fun anymore it clearly (laughs) isn't one time i literally had salmonella at one point i called my mom and i was like hey mom the one who has always warned me that one day i would have salmonella and then die from it (laughs) i literally have salmonella and she went you're fine. And then hung up the phone because she was at a, a horse race. She was like, ah! excuse me, I'm at a horse race. How dare like, you? You're you're getting in the way of my free time. And then one time, like she would literally would not let me get on a highway until I was 20. But then she brought me to Boston and 20 minutes into living there. She was like, I have to, I have a meeting in Connecticut. I'll see you there tomorrow. And I was like, how the fuck do I get to Connecticut? And she was like, I don't know. Figure it out. And then left. I love that that was grad school, too. You were like, what do I do? I didn't. She. I was so sheltered. I was so. And like, then when I need to learn, my mom's like, I don't know how, like, I don't know how to teach you. Just, Just figure, figure it, it out. out. 
But then yeah. I'm like, oh, I probably won't get the coronavirus. And she's like, no, you'll die. Here's four rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> she tries her best to like, she's always nervous. The best way I can describe it is she's always nervous. I'm going to die. But when the time comes that I am probably going to die, <laughs> she does not know how to be a nurse. She just wants to warn me so that she never has to get to the point. There's no to guilt. Take care There's of no me. guilt there. She can just be like, I told you. She'd be like, you shouldn't have eaten that raw chicken then. What did I tell you? <laughs> yeah moving on sorry i just i'm thinking of my mom raising me in 1874 yeah. and at thirty thousand years old she'd still be like you are not stepping out of this building okay it's making a lot more sense yeah because i feel like for me it's not that weird that kids would walk around i mean especially in the 1870s but like i don't know I, we ran around a lot at, as kids i mean i'm gonna be that i'm not gonna be that way because i'm too paranoid now after doing this podcast um but I def and also like I don't trust my genetics to pass on to a child to be like a survivor in any scenario. So, but I mean, I definitely we got to run around with our friends and like, you know, no, my mom's still like, where are you going? Who are you going with? When are you going to be back? What are you doing? I'm confused. Are you hungry? Like every every single question that could be solved with like leave me alone. You'll find out in an hour. <laughs> Listen to my podcast. I'll tell you there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, so anyway, unfortunately. Um, a four-year-old named Horace uh, was somehow talked into eating a piece of cake and walking to the bay with Jesse. If someone offered me a piece of cake, I'd probably do anything they wanted to, Remember to be fair. Remember clothesline cookies? You were like, I would have come running too. Episode two. Episode two. Um, so several people actually had, later had said they had seen Jesse with Horace walking along the marsh. Um, apparently they stopped in a secluded area of the marsh, and this is where things get graphics i just want to let you know now um jesse pulled out his penknife and he slashed horace across the throat shit but horace survived the initial attack and jesse got so angry that it didn't kill him that he stabbed him over and over 18 times in the chest oh my god and pretty immediately killed him that way uh once horace had passed jesse stabbed him in the eye (gasps) yeah oh my god and begins to cut at his genitals uh and this, at this point, it's not even a torture thing because he's he already died. Yeah. Right. But um, this just goes to show how, like, graphic and mutilating he was. And how much anger he how had. How much anger, exactly. So violent. To a, to a child, yeah. Um, and he was a child. I mean, it's just so twisted. So Horace's father, around lunchtime, realized his son's not home. Um, and so, I mean, I think it wasn't even just, like, the kids were necessarily wandering around. Because, I mean, their parents knew, like, hey, there's this person on the loose. Right. But, you know, I mean, if if... You can, I'm sure you can talk a four-year-old into like, no, no, it's fine. Like, I'm another kid. Just walk to the store with me. Like, I don't know how he, but his father noticed pretty immediately that his son was missing um, from their house or their shop or wherever they were. And so, uh, unfortunately, right around the time he was reported missing, he had actually just been killed. So around 4 p.m. that day, two boys stumbled upon uh, Horace's body and called police. And obviously... (laughs) There's one suspect that everyone's like, hey, we know who the fuck it is, guys. It's pretty obvious. Uh, remember that kid you literally left out or got out of jail? Uh, so the Boston chief of police and the news reporters were like, no, no, isn't he locked away in reform school? And then South Boston Precinct was like, oh, no, yeah, like we we took him out of there. He's roaming free again. And everyone's like, well, fuck. People are like, God damn what it. What are you doing? Yeah. So despite his mother's protest, she's still saying he's innocent. Jesse was immediately picked up by police and taken in to be questioned. At first, he denied everything. He said he didn't even see Horace that day. 
However, there is blood on his shirt, uh, marsh mud on his shoes, blood on his pen knife, and scratches all over his hands and face. And they were like, hmm, likely Me story. <laughs> something's happened. He's like, I was just working in the dress shop all day. <laughs> it's been tell? fucking wild over there. <laughs> have, you have no idea. I have not quite figured out how to use a sewing machine, and <laughs> it ended badly. <laughs> to be fair, that is kind of how I use a sewing machine. So Sure. I wouldn't blame him. So they confiscate the knife, compare it to horse's wounds immediate match they know this is the knife that stabbed him they take his shoes they had these like a new form of investigation which were these plaster imprints of shoe prints at the in the mud and they matched perfectly to his shoes um and at this point jesse was like you can't prove anything and so they took him to the mortuary to be like hey you want to see his body here this is what you did and apparently at this point he confesses he's like yeah i did that wow and I don't know if it was like a guilt thing or pride. I don't, right. I don't think it was a guilt thing because it seemed to be that in every other scenario, there was never any remorse. Um, but maybe they scared him into it, you know, with a threat of like 100 years in jail. Right. Um, this time, Jesse's mother, Ruth, insists that her son has attorneys. Again, Jesse starts denying the charges. He recants his entire c- confession. Um, and he says he was somewhere completely different on the day of the murder. But despite all his new, like, tales, he's indicted on first-degree murder pretty quickly. Wow. And a month after his arrest, uh, Ruth, his mother, and Charlie, his brother, are forced to close their businesses and move out of town, which doesn't surprise me that the town was like, get the fuck out of here. Mm. Uh, So the neighboring shop owner was like, I'm going to expand into their old space. And in the process of cleaning out the cellar, they discovered the body of Katie Curran, who had gone missing in April. So, or in March. So, Mrs. Curran was brought to the scene to identify the body, but they only showed her the clothing because the body had decomposed so badly. Um, And Mrs. Curran was beside herself with grief, but confirmed that, yes, it was indeed her missing daughter, Katie. And then Ruth and Charlie are arrested as accessories to murder because this had happened underneath their shop. Oh, shit. So, Jesse confesses to the killing um, of Katie, and he says he hid the body in a pile of ash and stone, but he says his mother and brother were not involved so that's nice of him yeah how sweet yeah so before the trial um jesse is examined by two alienists do you know what an alienist is no an alien princess (laughs) yep (laughs) i know it's uh it's like a word for psychologist in the 19th century they was like the the first incarnation of a psychologist or a psychiatrist um i've never heard that basically so i looked up why it was called that uh apparently this is what it says on psychology today it was the alienist's job to study understand care for and assist patients in overcoming their mental alienation or mental oh okay which is why they were called alienists um oh alienists with a t I thought you said alieness, and I was oh. like, an alien princess? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that that one you're right on, yes. I see. That okay. one is correct. <laughs> that one is correct. Um, alienists. Sorry. Okay, right. Okay, that checks out. Yes. Uh, so his defense was not that he didn't commit the crimes, but that he didn't have the capacity to understand that he was wrong, like morally mm. wrong in committing the crime. Then the defense, uh, so the defense was going basically for an insanity plea. Um, and the alienists on his side were arguing that he was insane, but then under cross-examination, they did admit that, yes, they think Jesse knows what he was doing is wrong. Like, he's not incapable of understanding you are not supposed to do this. Right. Whether you're, you feel guilty or not, like... He should at the very least know to stop himself from it. Right. He knows he's not allowed to do this. Um, 
So one thing that all three of the alienists who were on the case agreed upon is the fact that Jesse Pomeroy was an irredeemable, incurable threat to society and should be kept away from people at all costs. That's what I call Christine. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's why I call you an alienist. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the debate became at this point, like whether Jesse, so they were like, well, he's guilty, but like, what do we do? Should we execute him or should we put him away for life? Um, and so it didn't take long, like to render a guilty verdict, but he was so young that people were right. like, we don't know if we want to come, you know, execute, execute a child. Him. Right. Exactly. Um, but it was a punishment under Massachusetts law for first degree murder. And so the judge apparently said the law is the law. And in February of 1875, he passes down the sentence of death on Jesse Pomeroy. Wow. This whole time, Ruth is like, nope, he's innocent. And she blames, she actually blames Katie and Horace's parents for Jesse being in jail. And they're Ew. like, yeah, because. Well, because your kids look them. so killable. Like, what? Right. The hell? Exactly. Exactly. It made no sense. But she's still to that day was still arguing on his behalf. Yikes. So it took two years. He was languishing on death row, and two governors came and went, and um, Jesse's sentence was eventually commuted to life in solitary confinement, and he was taken off a death row. So he actually spent 41 years in solitary confinement. He learned languages. He wrote books and poetry. Yuck, I don't want to read that. Uh, He denied any and all responsibility for his crimes the whole time, said he had nothing to do with it. Great. Uh, But then as soon as he's put back in the general population... Rather than solitary confinement, he begins gra- bragging about his crimes, and he, like, loves the attention from all the other inmates, and he loves to be, like, the scary, right. awful one. And so he, so this is kind of where it comes back to, like, him walking into the police station, because he acted this way, like, he was so, he bragged about his crimes, and he loved to talk about them. That's why they think maybe he was excited about the fact that, like, he hadn't been recognized and wanted to walk into the police station that one day to like see how far he could push it and Mm. like see the actual result of his crime like a cat and mouse game almost with the police yeah so basically the biggest punishment to him of all was that the public just kind of lost interest in him and his case you know how like oh yeah these murderers are just like get off on like the attention and yeah and no one cared no one cared anymore and so according to guards and wardens at the what do they call it criminally insane institution sure uh so apparently according to the the wardens um as soon as the people in the general population like of the prison didn't or of the center didn't know much about him or he wasn't like nobody knew offhand who he was or anything like that he became really withdrawn depressed like just stopped participating with other people and like his whole thing that he gained energy and like self-importance from was just gone because like nobody, gotcha. nobody like no one cared. was validating yeah, anything exactly. that he wanted so uh he tried to escape jail many times and failed every single time kelsa priest <laughs> according to the boston globe he made 10 to 12 escape attempts often creating tools in his cell by himself um a prison warden reported finding rope steel pens and a drill uh, that he had... a drill how do you smuggle that in <laughs> i don't know Dang. i guess he had like 50 years to do it uh according to the globe pomeroy lost an eye after attempting to destroy the side of his cell by redirecting a gas pipe to try oh shit and blow a hole in the wall so he like literally lost an eye over it um didn't escape obviously According to a 1914 psychiatric report, Pomeroy had shown the greatest ingenuity and a persistence which is unprecedented in the history of the prison. So good job. Huh. 
So Jesse died on September 29th, 1932, still incarcerated. And uh, he is considered a an organized slash lust serial killer, which is sort of like Ted Bundy and Dahmer. Like um, he he did it out of just a want, a desire to, sure. a need to. Um, so no one with any familiarity with the case has any doubt that like if he hadn't been caught when he finally was, his body count would have just continued. Sure. Like yeah. there was no stopping him. Out. Yeah. He was described uh, as manipulative, methodical, demonstrating no remorse or acceptance of responsibility for even the most minor of infractions. Uh, prison psychologists noted how he manipulated his mother over and over during the over the years, and she continued to proclaim his innocence, and he could always convince her that he had nothing to do with it. But that ended in 1915 when Ruth passed away, still professing her son's innocence to the day she died. And after that, no one else bothered to visit Jesse ever again. Wow. Whew, that's the story of Jesse Pomeroy. <laughs> it's a big one. I'm sorry. Wow. It's one I want to do for a long time, but it's just a lot. <laughs> well, yikes. Boston. Sorry, we won't be seeing you this Glad month. we're not going, actually, a little bit now. Yeah, what the fuck, Boston? What's the matter with you? Yikes. No. Uh, Yowza. Thank you for that. You're welcome. It's a doozy. You're welcome. Is everyone thanking me? Everyone is pleased. I'm sure. Everyone feels really good about themselves. Uh, well, great. I don't know how to go, where to go from here. Do you have anything? I'm just going to say, uh, I'm not going to say come see us live because that's not seeming to work right now. So uh, just check us out. And that's com. Also, I mean, if you want, you can follow our social media. That's where we're posting like updated dates and that kind of thing. So if you are concerned, check there first because that's where we'll post anything. ATWWD podcast is our handle. Yes, for sir. All things. For all things. Uh, check oh. it out. And soon we're going to have our Space Camp video up on Patreon. Yes. And there's a little kitty cat doing some stretching over there. That's right. Right so underneath sweet. Skylar. Oh, so sweet. On that note. And that's why we drink. <laughs> oh. It's a 